Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So you've uh, been telling me about a pattern you've seen, a very interesting one that um, is going to lead to people burning out. And I'm always interested <laughs> in helping our listeners not burn out. So t tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, so the context here is um, I, I have a few different people I'm coaching. And there was one person in particular that really struck me that about eight weeks or so ago, we started working together. And they were saying that, uh, talking about how they were feeling and, and kind of low. And then uh, a week or two ago, they said, effectively, I'm fixed. Like, I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm, I wake up. I'm excited to come to work. I'm excited to read my emails. I'm really engaged. And we had a bit of discussion about, well, let's talk about where that came from. And yeah, if it's a pill, could, could we get some? <laughs> well, the thing was, is once, once he and I spoke about it, and we had a very clear pattern, I, I found that pattern with several other people I was coaching in, in subsequent days. And I thought, well, look, this is something worth talking about. And so let's, let's get into that. There, there's a model that you and I have used quite a bit in talking about uh, communication, and it comes from a Stratechery article, uh, link in the show notes as always, um, called The Uncanny Valley of a Functional Organization, which is a pretty strange title, but it was uh, something that came out when, at the time that Microsoft was reorganizing into a functional model, and the person there was saying basically, it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's, it, functional organizations require different things, and in particular, they require a certain type of collaboration, and they have this very nice two-by-two -two matrix that you and I have referred to many times, and we've used it in our training and all kinds of things like that. And the, the matrix talks about two aspects, and one is mutual trust and respect, and the other one is willingness and freedom to disagree. So those are the two axes, and if you have lots of both, you're in the upper right, and if you have lot, none of either, you're in the lower left. That's right. In, that, in sure that upper right, listeners have seen this kind of chart many times before, and if you haven't, go, go click the link in the show notes. Classic consultants, you know, grid, <laughs> two by two matrix, where the good one is always in the upper right. And in the upper right, they label this true collaboration. Of course, you and I often talk about this as productive conflict, right? We, we will say, look, if, you, if you're in there and you're having conflict between ideas, but not between people, then that's where you get this really great collaboration. And, you, and it requires both of these aspects. You need to be willing to speak up and talk about what's different. And you also need to have trust and respect for the other people so that you believe that you're going to be listened to and so that you're actually listening to what they say. It's really this kind of back and forth dynamic that makes it so powerful. That, that sounds great. We're not going to burn out if we're there. So we've got to be the burnout somewhere else. Exactly. And I just want to point out, I want to stress that here because a lot of times people think about burnout as being too much to do or too much work or things are too hard or something like that. But that's actually never been my experience. When I've worked with people on, on uh, time crunches, on, on uh, heavy workloads when there's something that we got to do, but we were in that upper right quadrant when we had a really good working dynamic. Um, it, it actually, it made the work fun. And we were kind of like embracing the challenge. Now there can be too much, but we weren't, we weren't burnt out. It, it might be hard, but we didn't have that kind of psychological drained, disengaged, dispirited view if we're in that upper right. And if you want to think of an example, come up with any example where people are doing some, some sort of um, very high strain, very challenging rescue. And, and the one I have in my mind is um the kids who were stuck in the uh, caves in Thailand. 
And what you didn't read about anywhere, and I don't have any sense this happened to anyone, is that anybody said, boy, this is a lot of work getting these kids out of these uh, (laughs) caves, and I'm really burnt out, and I I just need to go lie on a beach somewhere. Uh, I'll see you in a while. People didn't do that because they were highly motivated. They were really effectively collaborating. They were operating at that upper right-hand corner. So I think a lot of them were really exhausted. (laughs) It was a completely... um, uh, draining activity and of course tremendously rewarding to, to save everyone but the crucial thing was that they, they were not um, in a situation like we're about to talk about that would lead to burnout they're in a situation that's highly energizing in fact yeah that's right and and, and, that, and that's a great example and and there's many more I think this is one of the things that excited me about Amy Edmondson's book teaming uh, where she talked about what it takes to bring specialists together who are not fixed teams Right, but you, you bring them together into an ad hoc team, and how do you get them up to speed and quickly uh, uh, and powerfully collaborating? And this is where she talks about psychological safety as being so important, which really you know is what helps get you to that upper right. So let's talk about the opposite now, because what was the pattern that was happening? Well, let's look at the other axis, uh, the axis here of um, willingness and freedom to disagree. And in particular, I've had several cases of people who felt that they didn't have the freedom to disagree, that the context that they were in didn't allow them to voice their concerns. They, they either, they, they lacked a platform, you know, they just didn't have that meeting, they didn't have time with the person in charge, but they were somehow in a scenario. They weren't trusted. Exactly, yeah. There was something going on where it's sort of, they believed for rightly or wrongly that their opinion wasn't welcome, their input wasn't welcome. It, it wasn't obviously being sought out. And therefore, first, they felt like they had no freedom to disagree. And then that started a cycle where their willingness to disagree dropped. And it, and that, was, that cycle fed on itself. And that's what really led to this low engagement. And therefore, you now suddenly true collaboration is not possible. You can't have that engaged dynamic. And the, what I what we talked about is it's it's sort of like if you can't disagree, then you also can't really commit. It, you you can't really say yes wholeheartedly to something if you don't have the opportunity to say no. And it, that was really the source of their burnout. So even the things that they liked and normally would have been excited about were undercut by the elements where they felt like they didn't have a voice. So that was the ongoing dynamic. Now. Of course, these we've had a few people here who they got themselves out of it. How did they do that? Well, we focused on the question of how do you have the difficult conversation? How do you go ahead and, and address this issue, which is, seems like it'd be impossible to discuss? And having people practice things like conversational analysis, the kind of things we talk about in our book, armed them with the ability to then realize how they could go and actually introduce the topics and have those difficult conversations bring in the disagreement that they wanted to have. And once they did that successfully, it wasn't a question about whether their ideas were adopted or not. That was kind of irrelevant. That, that what didn't correlate with the outcome. But the mere fact that they were able to successfully have the conversation and raise their concerns was enough to break that cycle of disengagement. And now that they felt that they could, could disagree, now they could also more strongly engage in the things that they liked and supported. And it really had the opposite effect. It had a positive uh, cycle now of building them up, more engagement, more willingness to bring things up. And, and talking to them, and particularly this one person who talked about things being better, they talked about being in a room with many executives and be able to just speak their mind. 
to say, look, I think this is a problem. I think this is what we need to address and, and get it out there. And they were listened to and, and they just, you know, felt so different, so amazingly different in just a few short weeks. And that's what I thought would be worth discussing. Fantastic. And, you know, that reminds me of a, a, a type of pattern that I've seen, which has, I think, a similar root cause, but may sound a little more like classic burnout, the kind that people refer to when they mistakenly say, I've just got too much to do, and they, they aren't thinking about Thai cave divers and, and other examples where <laughs> that doesn't happen. But uh, there, there are cases I see where the specific area that they feel like they can't disagree about is the workload. So a very common complaint that people bring me, and sometimes they say, Squirrel, I can't start coaching with you because I haven't got time. I, I need to clear my calendar first. I say, right. we really should work on clearing your calendar. <laughs> we should do something about that because it's not going to get better. And when I do work with them on it, I ask them to have a very particular type of difficult conversation, which really helps them with this, and that is uh, to disappoint someone helpfully. So, for example, if you have three or four meetings in an afternoon, you really need some strategic time to think, then what you can do is uh, say no to all the meetings. There's this nice button, and it's, it's right next to the yes button in the calendar application you use. I know, even though I haven't <laughs> seen your calendar, I know it's there, and it says no. And believe it or not, you can actually click that. Lots of people aren't aware of this, but um, it, it actually works. <laughs> and and um, then, of course, that leads to some conflict, because somebody says, I wanted you in the meeting. You, I missed you. You weren't there. I need you. Please come. And, and then you disappoint them, but in a helpful way. So you explain, gosh, this uh, strategic work that I need to do is actually higher priority than yours, so I'm not going to help you. And notice how confrontational this is, right? And in, in It's positive, but it's definitely creating conflict. We're, we're not shying away. We're not saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'll come another time. How about next week? You say, I'm not going to help you. And that means we'll probably do less well. We might not even land this client, or it might be that we don't uh, get this feature uh, to scale in the way that it should. But the strategic work is more important because, or the project to uh, evaluate the company we might acquire is more important because, and that because is super important. It's what creates the opportunity both for the other person to explain, you're wrong, it's not more important, wait, you're missing something, we're, we're going to be out of business next week unless we do this, so it doesn't matter whether we acquire the company. That's one thing you could hear, and the other is that the other person gets the message that this is an important area that he or she should start paying attention to, and you suddenly turn this person who was going to be disappointed and, and your, your opponent trying to suck your time out and burning you out into an ally who can help you to make progress, who can help you by making other decisions that are in line with yours and supporting, say, the strategic activity. Yes, I, I really like that example. And, and that framing of disappointing helpfully is one uh, that I, I find really, really attractive. Um, and it's something I know we've talked about on the podcast before. And it certainly is an example of what I think we're talking about. It's a, it's a type of disagreement. It is different, I agree. But there's a kind of disagreement there of, well, you know, I, I don't agree to come to your meeting or come to have that discussion or spend time on what you're asking me to. And so there's a real similar dynamic going on here um, where if you're not able to express like this is reality, you know, that we're not able to do all the things you're asking, then of course you're going to be feeling, uh, you know, uh, uh, under pressure, um, disengaged, any number of things. And it comes down to this ability to have the difficult conversation and that framing that you have there of disappointing helpfully, I think is exactly right. 
uh, of course, there is an important caveat with it, which is that y- you have to actually listen to the other person. And I had an entertaining <laughs> example of this where I, I had someone practicing disappointing helpfully. He did a wonderful job with his homework. He went and disappointed the other person. And the other person was very supportive, said, great decision, really appreciated it. That's great. You do this one before that one. And he said, I don't believe him. <laughs> he said, oh, he, he must be blowing smoke. He really is unhappy with me. I'm going to get it later. And I said, at some point, you have to believe them. So uh, part, part of it is to, part of the, the secret to this is to, to build up the trust and the, the good communication by practicing like this, by having this kind of conversation about your workload or about uh, the projects you're doing, uh, the thing that you disagree with, and um, uh, build up the muscle that allows you to believe the other person and operate based on what they tell you. Because um, what you can't do is or what will lead to burnout is continuing to um, uh, hold uh, inconsistent ideas in your mind. I absolutely must do this, and I cannot uh, get any of my other work done. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for uh, uh, disagreeing in this area, and uh, but we're going to be heading for the cliff if I say anything. Um, right. <laughs> if you hold those kinds of um, inconsistent ideas in your head, it, it will burn you out. It takes enormous energy and causes great strain. So, So stop doing it. Instead, disappoint people helpfully, uh, show your disagreement, create productive conflict. It's terrifying, but tremendously valuable. And I really like the example you gave of the person agreeing, because I I, I actually, when you, now that you've said it again, uh, it reminds me of that, how I've seen a very similar dynamic where often in the case when there's a discussion of what's possible and I'm having teams replying back to executives about what can get done. The executives often are disappointed, but also, you know, at least the ones I have in mind here, also willing to, to deal in reality and can accept the fact that they're not going to get what they want. But on the other hand, you have the, the teams who feel really bad and like, oh, no, they're disappointed. That's not acceptable. <laughs> and But actually, you know, the, the, in, in, as I'm watching it, the executive is being a perfectly, you know, capable adult who can deal with disappointment, but the, the, the team isn't trusting the, that that's actually that what, what's going on and it's very similar to what, what you're describing here of the person who wouldn't take the good news <laughs> that the person was willing to take the message so i agree with you completely you need to be willing to listen and not have it prejudged that the other person is necessarily going to be unreasonable if you if you're convinced that they're going to be unreasonable you're not really having the conversation you might be saying things but you're not really conversing if you're not willing to listen to them and and deal with it and and part of it might be yep that they are going to be, you know, that's going to be disappointed and it, it'd be more comfortable if everyone could get what they wanted, but maybe that's not possible right now. So it's, uh, I, I like your example. I'm glad you do. Uh, uh, there's a fantastic um, concept from the world of chess, which I know we're both interested in. And that, that concept is uh, that the threat is stronger than the execution. <laughs> my dog yes. obviously agrees. So when you say the threat is stronger than the execution, what you're saying is that uh, by uh, causing your opponent to be worried about something, uh, you actually do more damage than actually taking the piece or giving check or whatever it is that you're going to do. And similarly, I think in a situation where you trap yourself this way, you're allowing the situation to control you. And the threat that the other person might disapprove sort of stops you from ever having the conversation, from ever finding out whether your burnout is legitimate and, and justified or not. And the vast majority of the times I find when I disappoint people helpfully and when my clients do, they find out it's a lot better than they thought. And I think that must be what happened to, to your uh, folks who, uh, who saw such improvement. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, I think when I come back and, and maybe a way to wrap up here is the, because it's worth, worth pointing out that at least in some cases, these are people who I was dealing with who knew about the kind of skills we talked about, the conversational skills, and they would agree in the abstract that they should have the difficult conversation. The challenge that they faced is they that they didn't have the skills to do it. So one of the key steps here was to do the practice, to go and get a piece of paper and you know create the two columns and do the conversation analysis on the specific conversation that they wanted to have or the specific conversation where they felt they couldn't say no and to do the practice to figure out how they could could introduce the topic they wanted to discuss. And once they did that, they could then go have the conversation. So I just wanted to take that to stress that we, we talk many times about having the difficult conversation and it's worth reinforcing. That means actually doing the work. You need to get the piece of paper, get the pen, do the two column case study. It doesn't take that long and it has tremendous payoff. So I wanted to, to make a strong case for that having had recently experienced cases where people weren't doing that despite knowing the theory and of course weren't getting the benefit because they weren't doing the work to be able to put themselves in the place to skillfully have that conversation. Well, that certainly is something I'm convinced of, but our listeners may or may not be. And so we'd love to, to hear from them. Uh, is this working for you? Have you disappointed anyone helpfully? Uh, are you burning out? Are there things that uh, that uh, are concerning you and you're you're having trouble mastering those skills? An opportunity exists, by the way, as we mentioned last week, uh, to get a chance to see us in person. Uh, Jeffrey, you're going to be in uh, Holland, is that right, in the Netherlands uh, for KitCon? That's right. We'll be in Zwolle on the 14th and 15th. and then You will be. Uh, I don't get to go. But yeah, that's I know. Right. I'll survive. It's so disappointing. <laughs> and then uh, after that, the following week, I'll be in Las Vegas at the DevOps Enterprise Summit. And we'll be running a workshop there on how to do conversational analysis. Once again, I won't be there. So it's not me and Jeffrey, but you can see Jeffrey. And if you want to see me, I'm going to be in Berlin uh, this coming week. So t tomorrow, I think, when you when you see this. So if you're, you're near, uh, come along. And uh, Vienna later in October and uh, Miami in early November. So uh, we don't get to see each other, Jeffrey, but uh, listeners have a chance <laughs> to interact with us in person. Uh, if you're interested in any of those, links in the show notes, as always. And um, uh, you can also find us and get in touch, uh, not in person, uh, by Twitter, by email, lots of different ways. That's at agileconversations.com, and there you can find free videos and contact uh, us in lots of ways. All, all kinds of good things are there. Of course, the last way you can hear from us is turn up again next week when we'll be back on next Wednesday with another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Ron.